0: Hi, I'm Marilyn Dennis. This is Marilyn Dennis Does a Podcast. This episode, I'll be speaking with one of the most influential rock musicians of all time, Grammy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and 70s guitar god, Peter Frampton. Peter has just released a book about his life and career called Do You Feel Like I Do? Sound familiar? What a great song. We're going to talk with Peter about some of the amazing stories that he writes about, from his very first guitar to his early music in bands like The Herd and Humble Pie, to reaching such great heights with his solo career and that unbelievable album from 1976, Frampton Comes Alive, which gave us hits like Baby I Love Your Way, Show Me The Way, and Do You Feel Like I Do?, Wow, that just goes back and gives so many people great memories. Wow, that echoes the title of the book. Peter also shares what it was like collaborating with his musical inspirations like George Harrison and David Bowie and how it took his battle with a degenerative muscle disease to write his life story. It is an honor to say, okay, let's talk with Peter Frampton. Let's do it right now. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to talk to you. You are the soundtrack of high school and my beginnings at university. And I just, I cannot believe I've talked to some of my DJ friends from back in the day and I said, I get to talk to Peter Frampton. Okay. That's a thrill. Big thrill.
1: Oh. Well, I miss being up in Canada and um, seeing all you folks. I saw you a little bit in um, on the f- finale tour, but uh, obviously with yeah. the the virus now, everything's uh, gone the other way.
0: <laughs> I know they have. Well, listen, uh, first of all, I want to say uh, your pandemic has been interesting. I hear you're a Frampa now. <laughs> I,
1: I am Frampa. I got named by my, uh, my, uh, my daughter. Uh, yes. So she had the baby. Uh, my daughter's name is Jade and she had the baby oh. April 6th in Manhattan at the peak of the first peak there yeah. and which was a nightmare but um i'm hopefully going up to see for her for the first time in november but uh, it's kind of peaking again <laughs> so i'm, I'm know, crossing I my know. fingers i can go
0: yeah. Well, welcome to the club, because I've got a 16 month old granddaughter and it, it's just so much joy. And I hope you, you get there sooner and uh, be able to hold her. She's beautiful. What a beautiful daughter. And what oh, a beautiful you. baby uh, granddaughter. Um, OK, Peter, amazing story. Uh, let's get it all started with your love for playing the guitar. Tell about tell everybody about your first guitar. And then we're going to talk to you about your mother's broom handle. On the ceiling.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, my first instrument was a, um, a, a, a um, it was a banjo-shaped tiny ukulele. And, um, so I, I, I pretty much learned how to play that and a few songs my dad had, had taught me when we found this instrument in the, um, from my grandmother's, um, attic basically. And, um, right. and then when I was, um uh, that christmas um uh, i asked santa for a guitar and i got this uh, guitar that turned up in my room at 3:30 in the morning my dad was trying to get my my, my brother still believed in santa <laughs> 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 so anyway yeah i caught him and i said you're santa aren't you no i knew he was but um i i quickly got up at 3:30 in the morning and um realized that I didn't know how to tune the bottom two strings because I was only used to a four string with the ukulele, ba- bandolini tuning. And um, right, right. so I rushed back into his room and I said, OK, tune the bottom two strings, please, so I can play. And he said, it's 3.30 in the morning. I said, well, you only got it to me at three o'clock. You know, I haven't had time. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, that was the beginning. And I haven't put one down since.
0: You know, but my, and it's you, amazing you, that you know you got matched up with the right with the right uh, instrument, which is a miracle in itself. Don't you think?
1: Well, I I think so. Um, I mean, if the truth were known, um, um, I, I have short fingers uh, compared compared to most guitar players, and unfortunately, that you know, I realized when I started playing piano that I couldn't reach as far as everybody else could, that octave plus, you know. And um, mm. then, thank goodness, <laughs> thank goodness, I, I realized, well, I'm glad I didn't know this when I first started playing guitar too because my music wait, teacher wait. would probably have looked at my hands and gone, piccolo for you, Frampton. So, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's it's been a, an incredible uh, you were talking about my grandmother, uh, my mother. Um, I would come in from school, would just shout hello, run up the stairs to my room, um, and start playing guitar. And then I might come down for the meal, I might not. And then at a certain time, my mother would go into the larder um, and and take a broom hand, a broom, and bang, because my, my room was right underneath the larder, and she would bang on the ceiling. That's it. Cut it. Cut it. That's enough. <laughs> go to bed. <laughs> so uh, that was it. But uh, that was pretty much every day.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, that's the love of an instrument and the love of what you do. The racing home to, to do that. Now, let's go to your early teens. Uh, you were invited on a tour with a band called The Herd. My, like, I mean, first of all, how old were you to tell everybody? And what did your parents think of that?
1: I think I was not quite 16 when, they, when I first played with them for the summer. Maybe I'd just turned 16, and um, uh, they asked me to fill in because they were uh, changing personnel at the time. And by the end of the summer, mm-hmm. um, uh, they sort of had a resorting of, of, the, of the band members, and I ended going from uh, rhythm player to um, uh, to lead guitar player, which was my default right. l- desired position. And, um, uh, so, uh, that, that was, uh, right at the end of the summer and I was supposed to be- go back to school, um, to go, mm-hmm. you know, go in the fifth, uh, uh the sixth form and, and get my A-level exams and everything. And that's when the herd asked me, would you, what do you think about joining the band for, you know, turning professional? And so I said, oh, that's a tough one with my mum and dad. <laughs> so I went home and my father's a teacher. So art teacher, right. phenomenal artist he was. And um so I knew it was gonna to be tough with dad. So I uh, I approached mum first. And uh, ah. she said she said, she winked at me and said, Leave it with me. <laughs> so I joined the <laughs> home. Ah.
0: I love that. I love that, and there's such great stories about that. And then we move on to one of the first supergroups, Humble Pie. I remember that group, uh, and and that that's that's amazing. Uh, they so you charted on the British charts with Humble Pie. How was mm-hmm. that experience for you?
1: Um, well, it was the perfect band for me. Um, I had seen Steve Marriott and the, uh, in the Small Faces. Uh, ever since I first saw them on our show in in England at the time, was Ready, Steady, Go, and they played live, and they did their very first um, single that was a hit. Anyway, um, What You're Going to Do About It, and I was mesmerized, as I was with my school chum David Bowie, by watching by watching Steve Marriott, and he had so much in in the in his little finger, he had so much charisma and and bravado in his performance. And I just thought, I want to play guitar with him, you know, and that was years before, Mm -hmm. that was before the herd even. So, you know, it was uh, a wonderful thing. Uh, I got to play with the Small Faces live and on record. And um, we, uh, after we had just done an album for the French uh, Johnny Halliday, um, in in Paris, okay. we'd gone to Paris with Glenn Johns, the engineer producer, and we came back um, after the sessions and uh, I got a call. I was actually at Glenn Johns' house listening to the latest band he'd uh, just recorded and mixed in 10 days was Led Zeppelin One. It was a pretty wow. good record too. listen to. <laughs> and then the phone rings <laughs> wow. halfway through. Yeah. yeah. So the phone rings yeah. and Glenn says, it's for you. It's Steve. I said, oh, really? I just left him in Paris. And he was, he'd just done his last gig in London, he said. He said, I've just done my last gig and uh, um, I'm leaving the small faces and, and I want to join your band because he convinced me that he could get help me get a band together. So we joined up forces at that point and had Jerry Shirley on drums, who I already had, and that oh, Steve, had, who yeah. Steve had found me. And then, Greg Gridley left Spooky Tooth to to join up with us and so we were born overnight
0: it's amazing all these names mentioning uh, that you've mentioned all the all the uh, you know spooky tooth and small faces oh god you're so much a part of history it's amazing I, I and collaborating too i know i want to talk about your favorite companion which is your phoenix guitar and we're going to talk about that in a moment but you know just collaborating with some people like i mean here's this kid And you're in the face of the Beatles or, you know, working with George Harrison and these early collaborations. How do you think that shaped you for the, what was about to begin, which was huge?
1: Um, People ask me, you know, you'd been successful with the herd in Europe. You'd been successful with, with humble pie in Europe and America. Uh, And it was just gaining momentum, uh, you must have been ready for for what happened with Comes Alive, the Comes Alive album. And I said, oh, yes, I'll be ready for this as it was creeping up the charts and then it sped up the charts and then it went to number one and it stayed there all summer. And uh, I realized I wasn't ready for it. (laughs) Um, The onslaught of publicity and um, interviews and uh it, it was it was all a bit and nothing like today's paparazzi, but back then it was still huge. And um so it was a little hard to take, I have to say. Um mm-hmm. it took some getting used to, which I did. I sort of thought I was the bee's knees for about five minutes and then and then realized through my my dear parents brought me down to ground. <laughs> and um yeah, and I'm lucky to I'm lucky to have them, was lucky to have them, obviously. And um, realize that I'm, you know, I'm this guy that uh, just does something that you put others on a pedestal for because I've just yeah. written these songs and, and put this album out that everybody seems to want at this moment. So it's, um, it's a heady experience, to say the least.
0: Of the moment, for sure. Now, let me tell you... Uh, just from my experience as a very, like a newbie disc jockey, um, that's when I started when your album was out. Okay. Uh So that, that was fantastic. All right. And so the other thing is everybody had that album. So when I was at university, everyone had that album and everybody had a different record player. So people didn't want to wreck their Peter Frampton comes alive. And somebody else's needle so it was playing all the time but you would kind of save yours and then take the take the actual album cover and then put it up on your bulletin board I mean you were everywhere and I read where you were very excited about hearing your songs on the radio but then you felt like wait a minute it's too much now did you <laughs> actually feel that way
1: um I know it's strange to say, but um, it was almost yeah. embarrassing because I was, uh, you know, I would, I was living in New York at the time, upstate New York, and and uh, I would turn on, um, you know, NEW, which was our great FM station, and uh, yeah, there I was. Um, but then I would, I would change the channel because I was like, okay. <laughs> And there's me again and there, and I go to PLJ and there I am again. And then I go somewhere and there what, and then I turn the radio off and and put a cassette in or something. Just, I I don't know. It's, um, I've never done, I've never done anything for money or outright or this will be successful. It's always been about the music and making it better, you know, for me. yeah, And, um, so this was all a bit, oh, really? Um, <laughs> and uh, I thank everybody for, for their attention, uh, but, but it's, uh, it's all a bit too much.
0: Well, I just want to thank you for the soundtrack of, of that time. And any person that I've talked to, Peter Frampton, baby boomers are not saying that I was interviewing you. They were like, wow. He is phenomenal. So just know that that was a great gift to all of us. And that still well, remains one of the top live albums of all time. How many albums did you sell back in the day? Yeah, because th- there's different numbers. Is it like, I don't know, eight well, million? worldwide now. I don't know.
1: It, it was eight million um, in the States and 17 and a half million worldwide now. So, and it's still selling. So it just blows my mind constantly, you know, and it's almost like it's that. Other guy, it's not me anymore. You know, oh, no, right. Don't have the hair. Don't have the hair. See, don't have the hair.
0: No, that's true. <laughs> but you're still adorable. The hair was good. Oh, the satin pants were good. I loved everything. It was a look. Oh. I love that look. I love that look. <laughs> here's here's part of the book that I I thought that was really interesting. It's about the follow up, right? And the, yes. you you give some really good insider kind of um, the people people like myself wouldn't even know. So. As soon as this becomes hit, there's three hits from this. You want to tell everybody what the hits are? Baby, I Love Your Way. Yeah, it's uh, Show
1: this. Me the Way, Baby, I Love Your Way, and then Do You Feel, which was uh, 14 minutes long, which we had to edit down to seven. <laughs> 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 For the single.
0: Which probably, <laughs> well, just probably we had to, probably on the top 40 radio stations, we had to edit it down just a little bit more. But those FM yeah. stations, they were play the long version. I was so jealous of them. Anyway, um, so so they kept saying to you, and I, I feel the pressure. It's like when you're pregnant. When are you going to have your next baby, right? Uh, right. So when are you going to come out with the next album? Like when, and you're going. Well, wait a minute. When I'm looking at it, it took me about six years to write that. Am I correct on that one?
1: Yes, you are. Yes, you are. I. Yeah. I, that no, it, it, because the the contents of the live record are uh, one from uh, the Rock On album from Humble Pie. Right. Um, And then I cherry picked from When to Change, Frampton's Camel, Something's Happening, Frampton, all the albums leading up to the live album. So if you add that all up, that is six years worth of writing to come up with those that I cherry picked. Right. Um, And that became sort of a live best of, um, of my career up until that point. And uh, so to, for people to come and start badgering me because of their agenda, you know, I am now mm-hmm. the golden goose. They want another golden egg. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't put my foot down. I, I, take, I take responsibility. I went, didn't go with my gut at that point. And mm-hmm. um, I even believe that the making and releasing of the I'm a New record really doused the sales of Comes Alive. Because um, there was no need to release. You know, when you've got the biggest selling record of all time, which I surpassed Carole King's tapestry record, that in 1976 towards the end of the summer, I believe. Why would you go near the studio until you have, you know, 12, 20 to choose from? uh, You know, of the best you've ever written, you know. So I didn't have time for that. I didn't, and I I didn't want to do I'm A New, and that's the, I have a solo album that I'm in the process of making, and right now we have other things coming out, but, but I will not, just to liken the situations, it will not come out until it's absolutely the best one I've ever done.
0: Yes, so, so. What I love about your book is this insider kind of information. It said, you know, the old rules, if you had a big hit, you put out another album six months later. This is in the 70s, ladies and gentlemen, but no one had ever sold this much before. So I want to take my time. Then you write. You would think that the Eagles put out 25 studio albums because they were so successful, but actually only seven. And they couldn't stand each other. We know that from the documentary (laughs) Um, and it didn't go near the studio. And I thought, you know, yeah, so, you know, but that's youth. And that's being in this phenomenal ride that you were in this journey that you were in. And, and it's very interesting to see how you share the ups and downs. And also you, you, you were doing drugs, doing the alcohol, kind of making yourself feel a little bit better. I would guess, am I right on that?
1: Well, in the evening, I was feeling better. In the morning, I
0: wasn't feeling so good, no. (laughs) Right, 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 (laughs) right. That's true. You did mention earlier about your friend, uh, you know, David Bowie. That didn't go uh, missing uh, on on what you uh, had said earlier. And David Bowie, so after all said was done, and I want everyone to read this book because there's so many other things that happen that only Peter Frampton can share with you in his own words. But there was a bit of a break. Um, mm-hmm. After you know Frampton comes alive, and then your friend gave you a call and said, "Hey, do you want to go on tour with me?" That friend is David Bowie on the Glass Spider tour. I do remember when that happened. So, do you want to expand mm-hmm. on that a little bit? Good old David Bowie, what a good soul.
1: Um, yes. Well, his um, his art teacher was my dad, and in fact, <sighs> George Underwood. If I do that, George Underwood was Dave's best friend for for life. And he's a dear, dear friend of mine still. But Dave, Dave, George and I, we were the uh, three amigos. And um, I made a beeline for Dave as soon as I um, went to the school because I'd seen him play in a band already and um, playing sax and singing. Mm-hmm. And so my dad let us bring guitars to school and uh, hid them in his office and then at lunchtime we got him out and sat on the stairs, <laughs> big stone stairs and had this wonderful echo and they would teach me um, Buddy Holly songs and Eddie Cochran songs and I'd show them some shadows. Yeah. And um, so it started then but Dave was uh, my friend for his entire life and and he would always pop up and we'd go out for dinner or he'd invite me to something and and we'd catch up and... Um, so uh, it wasn't, it, it was a wonderful call from Dave um, uh, and I wasn't surprised to hear from him, but I was just surprised he wanted right. me to record with him and then go on the, on the road. So uh, he had seen what had happened to me, the musician um, post comes alive, which had really sort of turned me the publicity and the media uh, attention uh, with me not, Paying attention to detail and always having my shirt off in photos and stuff um, turned me into a. I helped turn myself into a teeny bob bridle, and teeny bob bridle's mm. career is eighteen months, and that's about what I got. Right, and then things went off off course. So Dave saw all this, and he knew me as the musician, the guitar player, and always, and knew my frustration. So I believe what Dave did was give me the biggest gift any other musician could have given me, which was Mm -hmm. take me in on the tour and reintroduce me as the guitar player. And thank you, David. Always, 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 I always thank him.
0: Yeah, no, I I love that story. And I, I love the fact that you are a musician, guitar player. That is your thing. And you get to own that again. Um, There are so many things in this book, so many life stories. So my question to you is, why did you decide to write now? Why did you decide Um, to put it all together for people?
1: I I think um, the first thing was, if I don't do it soon, I'm not going to remember anything. Um, But the main Mm. reason, um, unfortunately, is that um, I have been diagnosed with IBM, which is a muscle disease, um, and it's uh, debilitating debilitating my arms muscles and my legs muscles, so it's going to affect my hands too. So um, it all sort of came at the same time. Ken Levitan, my great manager, had recommended, you know, would keep saying, do you think it's time yet to write the book or whatever, I Said because he knew that mm-hmm. I should do a book at some point, and I said I would, you know. But as soon as I got the diagnosis – Um, we turned another tour instead of another tour, it turned into the farewell tour, which I didn't get to finish, but maybe, maybe soon. Um, uh, and, and that was, that was it really. Um, uh, yeah. So, so we decided. I was up in New York, um, with, with Ken and I just had a bad fall in Hawaii. I went for a, a quick holiday with my, my youngest daughter Mia. And unfortunately, I, I fell really badly, and and I just said to Ken, you know, I think I think we ought to be careful what we book from now on. So everything came at the same time, really. The uh, agreement that mm-hmm. it was probably the right time for me to start jotting down stuff for the book, and uh, we were going to make the next tour a uh, the finale tour.
0: Um, and little episodes were happening before that. And here's what I find so interesting about, can you tell, can you give me the full name of IBM again? It's
1: Yes, it's Inclusion it's, Body Myositis.
0: Right, and, and so when you came forward with this, I believe that you told CBS, uh, Anthony Mason, about mm-hmm. that when you uh, let people know about what was happening, um, people mm-hmm. were watching your interview and somebody said because they, oh, they couldn't get yeah. a, a clarity from their from their doctors about that, Peter. That's am- amazing. You want to tell that story?
1: Yes, it's one of the heartwarming stories. Well, it's 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 not a, a great ending, but it, it's amazing how um, uh, awareness can help this disease. Uh, awareness mm-hmm. in this instance was not so much money; it was every <clears throat> after every show on the finale tour, I would have a uh, meet and greet, um, from people from the audience. And, um, uh, I knew that I was going to be meeting some IBMers like myself and, um, mm-hmm. we would leave them each time till the last. Uh, so I would have extra time to talk with them. And, um, so we're, we're in front of the thing where you take your picture and the Wife stands this side; the husband stands this side, yeah. and we're just about to take right. pictures um, before I sign anything. And and the the wife goes, "You diagnose my husband." I said, "What?" Han, tell him, tell him. So what happened was, he had been to quite a few doctors. I'm not sure how many, but he said, "No one knows what I have. I got this weakness in my legs, you know." And I thought I was just getting old, which is what I thought and most people Mm. do when they first get this. And um, then he's watching me on CBS um, with with Anthony and I'm going through all the things that I'm feeling because of IBM. And he's going tick, 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 tick. And then he goes, Han, come and watch this. Frampton just diagnosed me. And he went to a neurologist, Mm -hmm. which I recommended people that felt this, should Im- immediately go to a neuro- neurologist and be checked out. Um, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, he. But at, at least mm-hmm. fortunately, he found out what it was, and then he could start right. the um, uh, the daily working working out exercises. Is, is king. Yes. It's it's the it's the only thing we've yeah. got right now, and so he started exercising and and managed to prolong the, the, the effects.
0: So, so you have now set up a a foundation because many people suffer from this, but more and more people are coming forward with this. So what is the name of the foundation and are there any surefire therapies right now?
1: Um, It's the Peter Frampton um, uh, foundation for IBM at Johns Hopkins. Um, if you just put my name and Johns Hopkins in your browser, it'll come right up. And um, uh, so the the estimate the estimation is right now that in in the U.S. alone there might be a minimum of twenty five thousand people that have it. But I'm saying mm-hmm. it's double that immediately because most people don't know they have it. Uh, until, you know, things get very dire and they can't move around enough. So um, yeah, it's um, it's very important um, on the tour. I have to thank every promoter, um, Live Nation, and all the individual promoters um, sent me, um, and people that bought the tickets, obviously, they're the where it comes from, thank them the most. A dollar was added to each ticket, And we raised over $300,000 from the tour. Um, And uh, I I can never thank everybody enough and and all the promoters. And they all had to send them in individually from each venue. And they all did, you know. And some gave me extra money. It was just, I can't tell you how the the encouragement I get from people around me, people in the business um, and, and the fans. And, and those are the people, it's my turn to help them. They've helped me all these years.
0: Mm-hmm. I have so many more questions to ask you. Um, and I know we're running uh, out of time, but I did want to say that, um, you know, writing this book, uh, I'm sure was very therapeutic and it reminded me of the story about your beloved guitar that you lost in that fiery crash and how that was a constant companion. Um, and and where you are now in recording all this music. So did you ever replace that guitar? Did you ever, I mean, I know it burned in it. Like it was, it was your buddy. It was on the cover of Frampton Comes Alive. I mean, this was iconic. Um, That's an emotional loss. Um,
1: Yes, but I think at the time, um, later on I got maudlin about it, but at the time it happened, um, unfortunately, there has to be a pilot, a co-pilot and a, a navigator and a yeah. loading yeah. inspector. And they all passed away right. on the on the plane that crashed. So we, we really weren't interested in the gear. We were interested in, we were just so sad for, for everyone that lost their lives. Mm-hmm. And um, 32 years, uh, 30 years later, I get an email and uh, in the email are all these photographs of the guitar, like two days ago. And I screamed. And I knew it was mine. They asked me, is this your guitar? And uh, I said, well, I'd have to try it to make sure, just in case they didn't want a million dollars to take it back. <laughs> right. To get it back. Yeah. So right. uh, anyway, Rans- long story yes. short. luckily, yeah. Yes. Long story short, I'd ended up on an island off the coast of um, Venezuela. We Our last gig where the plane crash was Caracas. And um, so it, it was on the island of Curacao. And in the end, the uh, it was found by Aluthia, and he didn't want to pay the ransom for it, which was only five thousand um, dollars. So he got the minister of tourism for Curacao, <laughs> to, so the island bought stolen merchandise. <laughs> and so I couldn't take them to court <laughs> no I wasn't going to take anybody to court anyway I just wanted yeah. to think back. you know so in the yeah. end another two right. years went by and um they come up the two of them the luthier and the minister of tourism from curacao come up to news uh, to uh, nashville and we filmed the whole thing It's there's a little 10 minute film on youtube of getting it back mm-hmm. which is so so cool to watch um And there it was. I got it back and unbelievable.
0: Cool story. Okay. What is next for you, Peter Frampton? Um, Because I know that there's some new music and I, I know you've been recording madly in Nashville. I've seen some highlights from, I'm I'm keeping my eye on you. So when, (laughs) where, how, I know it has to be, I know you're a perfectionist. So what's next and when?
1: Well, there's a, a new album coming out, um, uh, hopefully April ish. Um, and, uh, there's three albums in the can. Well, two and a half albums in the can. We've released the blues album All wow. blues, and, um, we were very lucky with the success of that. That was wonderful. Number one blues album for 17 weeks. So it was, that was pretty cool. Um, uh, and, now we have, I'm releasing, um, it'll be an instrumental record again, because I've had luck with those in the past. And um, you have,
0: so. You um, have, so,
1: Yeah. Yeah. This one's yeah. Of yeah. All, all my favorite covers uh, of, of various different artists that I, I really love and tracks that I love. And uh, because I wanted to record as quickly as possible and didn't have to write anything. Um, that is, I've saved that for my solo record, which will be out. As we said, when it's ready.
0: When it's ready. And I'll be waiting for that. (laughs) Uh, You know, I hope that you and I can talk again. Do you think we can do that in the new year?
1: I would love to. This has been enjoyable, very enjoyable. This isn't like an interview. It's so
0: much. Yeah, it's (laughs) like talk with that that guy that I used to talk to you on your posts were going, God, I love your music. Now I get to talk to you in person and how special is that? This is such a great read and I'm so glad that you did it and I'm so glad new music's coming out. The book is Do You Feel Like I Do? It is out now. Peter Frampton, it's been an honor to speak with you and thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you. It's been great. And uh, Canada, I'll be back. I promise. I love Canada.
0: We'll be there for you, Peter. Thank you for giving us such great music. Have a great day and stay healthy. I hope everything goes well.
1: Thank you, and you too. Marilyn Dennis does a podcast. New episodes every week. You can download or subscribe on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.